What's up, Drew? Hey, how's it going? Good. Uh, Melody is sick, so she will not be here today. Uh, welcome to How College Works. Today we have a guest. Guest, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Michaela. I'm pursuing my Associates of Fine Arts right now, transferring to another school, secondary education and art. Okay. And you have just finished your first full year of college. Oh boy, or yeah. Or about to, actually. We're in, we're in the last week of our semester, so you're in the home stretch, crushed under a mountain of books and papers and exams. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I wanted to have you on to talk about what's it been like? A lot different than what I was expecting. Sweet. Let's get into that. <laughs> um, yeah, you, when you're planning ahead, I don't, I don't know about everybody, but, you know, when I was a kid, the expectation was to go to college. And, you know, I built it up like this thing that adults go and do, and they go and do adult stuff, and, mm. you know, and that's all I really got out of it. I would generally tend to agree that that's sort of where we're headed. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... So what was that different, I mean, was that all that you were thinking about? Like, it's just kind of, it's adult, but were there specifics to that? Or was that just kind of this general kind of feel for what college was? I didn't really have a good feel of what college was until eighth grade. Okay. And uh, I started looking into the college that I'm at currently mm -hmm. about that time looking into tuition and what branches of study were available and what I actually wanted to do and you know and then it wasn't until my sophomore year when I really got a firm grasp of what I was doing okay so you you did you did some homework in terms of like what kind of is available what uh, maybe not the full scope of the resources uh, here but probably like the general like majors that you could pursue mm -hmm. and different options mm -hmm. okay so how has this been different than that? It's in the brochure, right? Right, glossy <laughs> brochure. I'm sure it's like a trifold, full color. Flag sent in the mail, you know, yeah. all that. Birthday yeah. cards. Um, yeah. First of all, the, you don't get birthday cards anymore. We've already got you, so we've stopped doing nice things for you. You've got me in your grasp. That's right. All right. Um, it. It's... It's different in the sense that, you know, when you're planning ahead and you're picking out your classes and you're like, oh, this sounds interesting, you know, um, try to fill up your core requirements as quickly as possible so you can take more fun classes and relax. Mm -hmm. At least that was my strategy. Not everyone does that. But, um, and that's fine too, whatever pace you want to work at. But, you know, I'm like, okay, this will be a lot of fun. And then I realized that most of the classes that I was taking required a lot of writing and <laughs> daily homework. And I, was, I couldn't help but think, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, how, how far in would you say were you before you had that thought? Or just an overwhelmed thought, you know? I'd, I'd say about halfway through first semester. It's about, uh, was that seven, eight weeks in? Yeah, I'd say thereabouts. That probably that sounds about right. In uh -huh. the first few weeks, things well, they're new, and you're sort of building sort of a, a language often to to do the heavy lifting for a course, mm -hmm. right? And you are that far in now that you've built up that those tools, 
and you're actually starting to do some more of the serious work that's in that class. And in some classes, mm -hmm. uh, professors will purposefully front load your work, meaning the first kind of half or two thirds of the semester has the majority of the nose to the grindstone effort so that the last third can be work on like the major paper, sort of like basically back off sort of the demands of, of that particular course, not that you don't have a final or a final paper or whatever it is, but so that it's not quite running the same pace as say my courses often are, or is my physics course, my, my calculus-based physics, which is like we're hitting the end here and like everything's a summation of all the things, like we just kind of keep ratcheting and ratcheting and ratcheting and ratcheting you know so mm -hmm. like we did this and now we're gonna add this to it and we'll see how these work together and now this one see how that one works in. and so by now it's kind of a it's a big lift you know it's mm -hmm. the most complex stuff we're doing you know but week eight either mode you're in you've started to hit serious <laughs> serious effort in basically all those all those classes so Michaela I uh, it's really satisfying to me to hear that other people are having the same type of experience I did in first year of college where, you know, you kind of had that brochure feeling of what I was going to walk into, and then it was highly overwhelming for me. Uh, it sounds like you're having something similar, <laughs> so that's comforting <laughs> to me. Um, but so tell us how, like, do you, what is your sense of, like, how your professors were, you know, helping or guiding or warning uh, that this was uh, you know, possibly going to happen, or the workload was going to ramp up, or the, um, or where the resources are to help you write the paper. We, we, that's kind of what we're aiming at. Is like, yes, this is happening for for students, and then are are professors helping out, and, or are you aware that professors are helping out? That kind of question. Um. Yeah, actually, a lot of the professors that I've dealt with, dealt with. That sounds so negative. <laughs> that lot. I've interacted with. One of these horrible individuals that I've managed to survive. <laughs> but um, a lot of the professors that I've interacted with have been very upfront with the difficulty of their course mm. because they've been teaching it for however long and they know and they've got enough evaluations and comments from students to know exactly what parts people have difficulty with. And all kinds of sources, at least around our campus, are resources, not sources, um, around our campus are available to sort of help alleviate some of the stress. But um, whether or not the student actually uses those resources isn't. Would you, say, would you say for you, was there any barriers to going and accessing that support and that resource? Pride. Pride, absolutely. <laughs> Pride. Pride was a big one for me. I came from, you know, the high school experience. Um, I, I was a fairly good student. I could knock out an essay, you know, the day before it was due and be completely fine and get fairly decent grades. You cannot do that in college. I super feel you on that. And, I, and I've spoken like, it seems like a hundred times on the podcast. It's like, I got A's in, in English in high school and, and felt like I'm prepared, like I'm getting A's. What more could I possibly be doing? And then I went to first semester freshman composition and got C's and I was like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, like what's going on? I don't understand. This yeah. Writing didn't change. So Michaela, what have you seen your, over the year, um, 
have you seen your friends go and access resources and support? Are they making study groups? Do they talk about it? Or they're doing it and not talking about it? Or what do you see there? Um, there's a lot of study groups that go around. Um, we go and... Oh, I'm sorry. How do you get into a study group as, as a first-year person? How did you get into one? Or did you? Um, you make friends with other people in your class that are struggling in some of the same areas as you or struggling in different areas, but more, you know, competent in the area that you're struggling with, and you kind of trade notes. <laughs> so that, I think that works really well uh, in where we are, because our classes are pretty small. And Absolutely. So uh, even the biggest classes would be considered fairly small for a state school, and most of our classes are... 15 people, something like that. Maybe might less. be a little harder in a university type setting. Yeah, and a bigger and a bigger thing. Drew's our big, st big ish state school guy, <laughs> you know. And but it was except years that, ago. Yes, except that I was in a program where, in the music program, where it was a smaller group mm -hmm. right from the beginning. Well, that, so, yeah. You know, versus uh, if you did, I, I don't know, a, uh, let's say a business degree. No disrespect. At a big school you would have that 400, 500 person course and you'd have to be hitting the flyers at the library to see when are the giant sections of study groups and just randomly mm -hmm. walk in like mm -hmm. a, um, I would say like an AOL chat room, but that's probably cool. <laughs> Date yourself, man. <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking like for almost, for many majors, that's the case that the, as you get into the major classes, the, the numbers drop. It's especially in those big survey courses for general ed, so like you know, the especially it tends to be in the sciences, like your biology, your chemistry, your physics, that you're going to get a lot of people coming from a lot of different places, and it may be difficult to find people to study with. Um, in physics, I don't know about in the other ones. Often there's a graduate student running a discussion section. It's part of part of uh, what pays for their tuition as a graduate student, and that they. You might, that's a smaller group, that might be more like 15, 20 people, and it might be easier to find a group from your discussion section. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, it's posted somewhere, probably electronically these days, in terms of study groups and things like that. You could always stop by the library and ask the staff if they know of any study mm. groups happening in the library, because oftentimes kids will book a room in the library to use to hold a study session. Hmm, that's oh, true. That's advanced level right there. Yeah, no, that's that. It's, it's good. Good advice. Talk to a librarian. <laughs> Anything else in terms of what were you expecting or what was like unexpected, not like this didn't meet your expectations, but like just did not occur to you? Yeah, like, oh, shoot, I need quarters for the laundry or something. I don't know. Yeah, there is that. The hidden costs. Um, a lot of the... A lot of the science and math courses nowadays are have an online component. Mm. Um, some classes, like yours, use Google Docs primarily as the online resource. But some require things like WebAssign, which is a paid access website. Ah, yes. And that's another $100 for a code to use that website. Mm. So whatever wow. a student plans to budget for school, they should opt to budget within reason, if they're financially capable, to budget another, like, $200. Just to for, help. like, stuff that comes up. Like, surprise costs. 
<laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I, there was lab fees when I was in school for some a lot of courses where it was like seven dollar lab fee, and it was every single course had a seven dollar lab fee. Well, I think it was like maybe fifteen at my previous institution, a lab fee, and if you dropped it at early enough thing, you could have the lab fee. Yeah, that was of, inflation. Yes, uh, refunded. One wow. of the things to keep in mind is that uh, depending on how kind of savvy your professor is they may or may not have sort of realized those hidden costs because things like WebAssign for a faculty member are free because they want, often, they want the faculty to adopt it. Yeah. Right. Some of these things, uh, I mean, learning management systems, not just like WebAssign that does like online homework, but uh, uh, things like Blackboard are, are pretty expensive, but the school is paying for it. The school has some big thing. Like we have a uh, e-learning is the is the thing that we have here, and that is part of a huge behemoth sort of uh, series of modules and programs and things that all work together from the same people that the school paid. I'm sure like a million dollars to get it in everything. Everybody every aspect of the college is now plugged into this or is trying to be it's in the process of getting plugged in mm-hmm. sorry do you were uh, about to say something oh no i was i was chuckling at a million dollar budget item <laughs> anyway yeah i mean it was it was a big it was a big step for for our school to do that we know i mean the administration know we knew we needed it and and it was and they i guess priced some stuff out and made some decisions um, that's a large portion portion of our budget. Is listeners may rem- longtime listeners may remember Vice President of, ACA of what is it Administration and Finance? I was like, what is our budget? And our budget is and it's probably similar uh, to when uh, she was on. It's about sixteen million dollars a year. So that's one sixteenth of our annual budget to to do the project. So it's, oh. it's a it's a major outlay. Yeah. That, that just that kind of thing makes you ask, like, well, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Michaela, tell us about, uh, I'm just thinking of some of the topics that we've covered on here where it's like me and, and Peter and, and Melody talking about what we think students are experiencing or what how we experienced college 20 years ago. Um, have you had any, not, you, you, I don't know, say no or, or, or fake it if you don't want to talk about it, <laughs> or edit this part out, Pete. The... Uh, have you had any interactions with professors where you thought, uh, you know, gosh, that was rude, or like, I, you know, I, I wish I had known a better way to approach this person about the help I needed and got a better result? Does, does that, am I asking this vaguely enough? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if you had interactions with professors, you were like, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. Right. And I really wish I could, knew better how to make that happen. Mm, no. No? Oh, oh okay. All right. <laughs> it's it's all a matter of being polite and admitting that you needed that you need help. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, coming toward this person in their free time. You know, like I'm struggling. If you could point me towards something that would help, I'd really appreciate it. But I understand you're busy. Mm. You know that sort of thing. Sounds like you've been listening to our podcast. <laughs> See, I told you you had the good students. <laughs> <sighs> oh, well, that's that's good. So, hey, one more. I'm just, again, I'm thinking of all the topics we've, we've covered where it's us talking, and, and now we have a, a, a real live in-the-mix person. Um, You've caught one. So you talked about the, the $100 fee. Um, 
see if you needed, uh, if you had needed to go ask for assistance on those fees, do you know where to go or, or where is that advertised in the university to go? Um, I'm just thinking of when I was in school, uh, an opportunity came up for me to get a scholarship for 250 a semester. And I was like, yes, sign me up right now. What do I do to get basically one class paid for? I believe I would have to go talk to one of our financial advisors and see if there wasn't a small grant that I could apply for. Good answer. To cover that cost, because I did struggle trying to cover it, because I did not anticipate to have to pay additional money, Right. you know. Because I, I was savvy about everything. I found all of my textbooks on online thrift stores and Amazon for a fraction of the cost. And I thought I was doing really well. And then all of a sudden, my pocketbook got a $100 dip in it. Right. And that, you know, as, as an adult who gets paid a salary, that's not my favorite. But I can shoulder that pretty well. But as a student going to college, that is, yeah. that's big money. Yeah. 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 I only make about $180 every two weeks. Right. That was grocery money mm-hmm. that I lost out on. Right. Time management. Oh, yeah. How did that work for you? Because as we have discussed before, for me, that didn't really work. And I think Drew was in the same boat that I was. Let's, let's back up. Let's back up. How many courses in your first semester were you enrolled in? I was enrolled in 16 credit hours. How many About courses is that? Five courses. Okay. Okay, now go ahead. Um. What? What was the question again? It was it was time oh, management. Nine, yeah. Okay, with five yeah. courses, so, I'm assuming, and 16 credit hours. With so, what's that supposed to be? 16 hours a week of homework. That's 16 hours of Outside face-to-face of contact and 32 additional hours of out of class. So you're pushing just past 40 hours a week of expected time. All right. So doing. time management. Go ahead. Yep. Oh boy. Um, that is not something I'm fantastic at by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, I, it's something that I've done a lot of work toward, but, uh, it's, I'm still not fantastic. Um, can you uh, walk us through, like, a step back. Was that an expectation of yours coming in that time management was going to be like a thing you needed to deal with in college? Or oh, absolutely. So you were like you were expecting like I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna manage yeah. my time differently than I did in high school. Yeah, I had a timetable set up when I first walked in. My schedule was posted on my wall. You know, I had everything lined up exactly how it was supposed to be. And then the panic set in about halfway through the semester. Right. And I'm like, oh, nothing is working anymore, and I'm having a breakdown. What do I do? Okay. So part of it, I mean, yeah. at least you were realizing it about halfway through the semester. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. that the time management, either the way you had structured it wasn't working or that you weren't doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. Okay, okay. Let's, Pete, let's, let's, let's let her go through and, and back. I like the question of... Walk us through your day or your week back oh, in first semester. Yeah. I want to hear from Michaela how she was processing that, you know, midterm breakdown of, of how do I get my laundry done kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, a typical day, at least in my first semester, is I'd go to, I'd eat breakfast, then I'd go to my morning class, which was first year writing seminar, do that, and then I think I had a break where I'd do homework and then I'd go to lunch, 
and then I'd go to my next couple classes, and then I'd do, um, I'd go to work, and then I'd do more homework, and then I spent about like an hour or so doing something for leisure before I went back to homework. You know, just trying to find time to balance academics and mental health. So really, it wasn't that you weren't exercising time management, like you were scheduling out the time and doing homework as the day went on. on trying a to, day. yeah. Uh, it's just the load was more than, than that was allowing yeah. you to complete. Yeah, um, taking that many credit hours at once was a mistake. My first semester, my first year of college <laughs> at a fairly academically rigorous school. Yeah. So I, I don't want I don't want this to sound like I'm being harsh or mean to you. I don't want you to take it that way. But Absolutely. for the benefit of our listeners, and if the answer is yes or no, it, it, it's it's your answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy to hear that you you had scheduled your time and you blocked it on your calendar to do homework and then leisure and then homework and class and etc. That's fa- I don't, I think that's miles beyond where I was in my head at 18 and first year. Yes. Um, how much of those hours that were scheduled homework were actually 60 minutes of nose to the grindstone in the books versus my scheduled one hour of homework, speaking for myself, which was on the calendar and probably 20 minutes. Of, you know what I mean? Before I was like, oh, well, I got to sit right and oh, the light's too bright. I got to turn the shades and I've got to, you know, I got to close the door and air conditioning's on and I got to, you well, know. I got to get my playlist right. I can't. I got my I, playlist I... and all this. So my hour of schedule time turned into 20 minutes of production, and then it's like, eh, it's five minutes to the hour, I'm going to cut off right now. That's about how it went. I have the attention span of a goldfish, so it was a, it was a whole lot of sitting down, doing something, thinking about the question, then getting distracted on a tangent, and then realizing what I'm doing, getting back to the task at hand, repeat process. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you being you know forthcoming about that because... I, for the benefit of our listeners and our first year and our 12th grade students coming into college, like that's where I was, yeah. what you just yeah. described. And, it's completely normal. And, and Yeah, and knowing that and realizing like part of this learning how to learn is, is not just your time management calendar you put together, but also as I'm aging and becoming fourth year, fifth year of college, saying like that hour turned into 55 minutes of production and not 20. Mm-hmm. Right. You get a lot better as you go on, but it's completely normal to struggle in the beginning. Like, you're making the transition from high school, which not to not any disrespect at all, but it's a lot lower stakes. I think that's true. I mean, again, yeah, and not, no disrespect. And my wife went to high school, which was harder than the first year of college she took. Yeah, well, it's, so it's she not was the like, same she for like everyone. She, like, cakewalked in, and I'm all like, I'm kind of dying. <laughs> <laughs> she was like... Oh, this is easy. It's like, really? (laughs) Everyone has a different experience. So did you find any particular things for you that that have helped you to get closer to the 55 minutes of hour studying as opposed to the 20? You know, that have helped you to focus or have helped you to not just have the schedule out there, but be able to either construct it or execute it in a way where you're actually getting the stuff done that you kind of that you want to that you intend to I think a lot of the distractions that happened within the first semester um, had to do with social reasons Mm -hmm. I was more caught up in you know trying to make friends and things like that but then 
toward the end of the semester, when it was time to do homework, I got to shut myself away from the world and sit down and do stuff by myself. Mm -hmm. And that felt real nice. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's, that actually resonates a lot with me. I remember in the first couple, especially the first week, but the first month or so of college, sometimes staying up till two in the morning, not doing homework, not even like playing games, just talking about random stuff with people in the dorm with me, mm -hmm. you know, and, it, and that was an important aspect. Like, it's not, I don't want to say that you need to go to college and you need to like be monastic about it and like do nothing but study and work and go to class. Oh, no. Um, but it is, there is that sort of class life balance, which is difficult to strike. Absolutely. Did, did you find yourself having to say no once in a while to those kind of uh, opportunities or, or, or I, I don't know, exchanges? Um, it got easier as time went on, but I did struggle with that in the beginning because it's a new place, new experiences. I didn't want to miss anything. But then I got to thinking, I've got a few more years of this. I'll catch up. Yeah, that, that is true. It is a hard thing to... <laughs> to, to walk away or to, to not walk off. <laughs> You're right, Peter, to point out, like, it's not to say, like, we're going to, hey, listeners of the podcast, you need to never go to any type of social function. No, I, th I think it's more like you need to be aware of, you know, if it's September and you're up till two in the morning, that's less of a, of a problem than if it's December 5th and you're up till two in the morning. Well, you're probably yeah. studying at that point, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although, Absolutely, you that's are. not a good time to be studying. No. Two in the morning. But, no, yeah. no, exactly. no, no, no. So if you're, just, you know, making that judgment call of like, yeah, this is fun and this is social and this is an important part of, you know, maintaining my friendships and my relationships with my peers and my basically coworkers or what have you. But is there a trade-off to this? And that's that's a mature thought process, decision making that I didn't, I don't think I picked up till after first year. Let's say some sometime after first year. Yeah, I think for me too. And sort of being, you know, Michaela, as you pointed out, like you don't want to miss out. And I certainly was the same way. Like things were going on. You know, my all my friends who lived in the same quarter quad of the of the floor were playing games and doing things that were super fun, and it was. I didn't want to miss out on that. It, after a while, sort of naturally, as we grew to know each other and sometimes grew to be like a little tired of each other, you know, it became easier to be like, I don't need to do all of these five things in the next mm -hmm. two days. I can do one a day and it's okay. Mm -hmm. you know? in, in this same vein, I've got a couple of things to add. As, uh, as Drew was mentioning the trade-offs, I've I found that there are three most important things to managing your success within college. Ooh, I want to hear. You're balancing academic success, social success, and mental health. Mm. And those things have to remain balanced, otherwise the other two are going to suffer. So yeah. if, I'm, if I'm doing awesome academics and socially, then I am probably on my way to a mental breakdown. Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not a fun time. So I've learned that striking the balance between those three things, miles better, miles better. And even so, like mental health is important. You should value your mental health. But taking too much time watching Netflix and doing face masks when you have a five-page paper due within the same week, not a great plan. 
Fun plan, not a great one. Yeah. Anything when it turns into a, a cover, an excuse, is suddenly like, yeah. And that, I can remember doing that with, um, as a member of the marching band, which took two hours a day plus, plus a Saturday practice um, to say like, oh, well, you know, I'm, that, that, hour is, that two hours is booked, so I can't study right then, so I guess I'm done for the day. Right. And, and use it as an excuse to not do the things that I knew were coming up, and that just led to anxiety the the following Sunday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As a sufferer of mental illness, it's hard not to fall into the oh, well, I'm having a really down period. It's okay to take to set a pace with myself, and you know, don't hold myself to all these things, whereas that's not productive, and it's not going to help me get out of the down period either, you know. Right. And it's yet, just making excuses and costing me other opportunities. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There, there is something you said about, it, like, if you're in sort of that, maybe pull back some of those. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. Those, those levels um, to where things are manageable and you can move forward. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, I'm just going to drop them all to zero. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Zero, zero to 100, zero to 100, zero to 100, back and forth as, I, as my mood approaches today. I think, so you pointed out a good thing, which is for a, for a student coming in, if this is your first year, first, first time away from home for an extended amount, um, you know, managing your own time, managing your own mental health, uh, maybe you've had a, uh, maybe you weren't even, like some first year students aren't really aware that they have a mental health thing that they need to be aware of. It may be not a big thing, but it's a thing, and, and if they're not aware of it, you know, that's, that's a consideration, but you're right, it's not an excuse or a crutch. Oh, no. Of a, I need to be aware of my maintenance, just like you would if you had asthma, you would say, well, I'm not going to go run out in the flowers unless I medicate. Right. Um, in, in that sense, and, and it, of course, I'm, I've kind of lumped uh, mental health in, in a large way that's not descriptive enough. <laughs> right. Well, no, I get you. It's the same thing with a vehicle. You have a vehicle, you use it to get to work. You realize that your vehicle could use some work. You do work on the vehicle. You don't just let it break down and stop going to work. Hmm. I want to throw something out here that I think I've mentioned here, but I've certainly mentioned to my wife sort of mild hair pulling on occasions as I've had advisees. Uh, and you let me know whether you think this is something which is reasonable, and that is that I find myself <laughs> silently to myself periodic being like, dear advisee who's just coming to college, why did you change your meds before you got here? Oh, I've, my had, I've had a handful of, of advisees or students who are like, who everything was going smooth through high school, and they're like, and so we've decided to change my meds or reduce the level or, you know, take them off right before they got to college. And I'm looking at that as an advisor and being like, I think it's great that they're in this position and that if everything was going to continue as it is, I think it would be the right choice, but you're moving into, like, the first year is a super high stressor, period. Yeah. Like, if, if the, you're... A whole bunch of things are probably going to go haywire as you come that's in through be, that. That's a filtered message from mom and dad, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, that's the, the reason, well, not the reason, but a reason that possibly could, I'm going to hedge a little bit. Sure. It, is because uh, medically, mom and dad are no longer in charge after age XYZ, whatever it is in your state. Mm-hmm. And so, that's, 
if that student who's 18 now turns around to the doctor and says, I would like to change my meds, then there's very little the doctor's able to do unless they're, if they pass the threshold of endangering themselves and others. So there's legal, because they're an age of majority now, that mom and dad or, or even the student is going to turn around and say, well, we decided. Well, it was like, hey, I, I did what mom and dad asked because they, they said, look, you've got to get your diploma. And mom and dad are right there. And then now that I'm an adult, I can make my decisions. And some of those are going to have to be fall on my face decisions and, and, you know, listen to the advice of my doctor. Or, you know, I want to pull back and see what happens. I, you know what I mean? Like, there's more to it than just we decided to change meds. I think there's more to that backstory than they're telling. Oh, I mean, prob- probably so. And, and you're right. You know, the who's making the decisions is shifting right at this time. Can I push back on that? Please, go ahead. Um, it's, it's up to the individual to make informed choices. Right. Absolutely. Like, I absolutely understand exactly where you're coming from, but it, it can't, you can't blame it on, if that individual chooses to wave their flag of independence in a, you know, misguided fashion, it's up to them to realize that they're doing that. Although it would be nice if we can be all like catch them here and be like absolutely maybe reconsider. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But you know, going out on your own for the first time. Yeah, Peter, you're as, yeah. A, as a professor, you're within your spot to say like, thanks for bringing this to me. This is vital, important information educationally. You know, my professional advice from seeing X number of students over the X number of years is that you know, please reconsider and talk to your doctor about it. And mm. that's as far as you can really. Yeah, yeah, it's not my call yeah. at all. Like, I am, I am not them. I am not their doctor. I'm not a trained. Uh, yeah, but you can give a professional all. opinion at that level. That's not like, oh, yeah. well, you should take X brand of, of med. Like, you right. know, I, but I can that. say, like, it has for those that have advisees who have self-reported the, this process, or or that it has it has been rough. It has also probably been self-reported because it has been rough. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, there's a selection bias there. But I mean, I have to, I, I don't know, I, we're, we're lingering on, on mental health for a long time, and it's an important issue. For, for me, thinking of, um, as a student, as, having taught high school with students with mental health and, and medication, that is, you know, it, a lot of, for many of the students I saw, let me put it at that level, um, that was often a decision that they were trying to tell mom and dad a point more so than an informed choice from their from their physician mm-hmm. that they basically went to the physician and said is, are we able to do this decision yes we are because you're majority age of majority now and it was more of making a point to mom and dad to say like i'm not you know you're i'm not under your control anymore right mm-hmm. exercising so, my know, their independence and that's not the case for for everybody i know mm-hmm. that was the case for uh, a handful of the students that i worked with mm-hmm. I was teaching, so I, I know that's not how many people. So, yeah. Anyway, it, you can see that this is this is uh, a, a sore spot for me as well, as far as mental health and, and decision making with the team. But yeah, it's an important issue, and, and you're right, Peter, to, to think that you know the student should consider heavily with their team and their physician before they make those calls, just to say like, hey, it's August, time to turn off meds. <laughs> yeah, I had my own experience with that halfway through the semester. Mm-hmm. I decided to start taking my antidepressants again mm-hmm. because I was struggling with my anxiety. 
But what I didn't realize is that my crippling anxiety was actually pushing me to be more productive because I was panicking about my schoolwork. And now that I'm balanced, I'm not panicking anymore, and I've fallen behind. So I'm catching up. I'm doing just fine. Don't worry at all. But, uh, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had talked with, uh, with my counselors more before deciding to do that on my own again. Yeah, I mean, so. you said that, like those three things to balance. And, yeah. And bringing them back into balance mm-hmm. sounds like I'm just one drops down, one comes up, everything is, is good, but it's it's more like when you start to wobble on a bike, you kind of you overcorrect a little bit Absolutely. before you come back that's up. That's exactly so what happened. You know, things get things get a little rough before they get better. And so mm-hmm. that's you know, to be aware. And even if it's not mental illness, even if it's just your time management or mm-hmm. your commitment to going to class or you know, mm-hmm. the social groups that you're hanging out with, you know, making an adjustment to any of those is going to lead to a little bit of kind of wobble in mm-hmm. your life until you settle down. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I just, there's just not going to be a, a, quote, right time to make a, the, some yeah. of those types of decisions, whether it's med change or major, change of majors or, you know, um, coming in and out of school and saying, I need to take a semester break, that's a really big decision. And it's not like, again, like you can't say to a student, or it's, let's say this, it's a difficult decision as a student to turn around and say, I need to take a break for a semester, or Mm -hmm. I need to uh, change my meds mid-semester. That's a brave decision to make, knowing that this could possibly have an impact, or it could possibly be way better. And Mm -hmm. what does my physician say? But you can't, Hey, I know you're you're in a in a position and you want to make this change, but let's wait two months until the end of term. I, there, there's not, I don't think there's ever going to be a magic right time for this mm-hmm. change. Yeah, yeah. There, there's always going to be consequences. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, Sorry, it's not like. To... Yeah, it's okay. I, mean, I was just thinking like it's not like a video game where you can duck into a safe area, do all the stuff you want, and then head back out again. Like you're always in the mix. And that's the reason they decided to change meds over summer before first year was because mom and dad talked to me or, or a physician or whoever talked them into uh, you need to stay on and stay steady and balanced even though you, you don't enjoy these meds and the side effects uh, because the actual effects are intended and are getting you past your diploma in high school. So they've already put off this decision making until June. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I want to sort of on the on the topic of things shifting and changing and maybe not being very pleasant. We have talked on the podcast that for many students and faculty, the second semester, the spring semester is more, is rough. <laughs> you know, it's for some reason, like it's just, it is nominally all the same level of courses, but for some reason it's just, it's harder. Does that ring true for you? Yeah, absolutely it does. Um, I'm taking 17 credit hours now. Well, that'll certainly do part of some of it. Yeah, but it's it's not just that. Mm. It's um you've got you've got the lay of the land more, and you feel more comfortable branching out and getting involved in more things. And mm. you're now's about the time everybody's stressed about ready to leave school, go back home for the summer, and you know things are getting tense around campus. You know, whole lot of social struggles and stuff like that. But you can't you still have to keep your eye on the ball. You still mm. have to continue performing academically. So did you find that in the second semester you became more involved with extracurricular activities? Mm-hmm. 
how did that how did that affect your experience and what advice would you give a, a another like next year a student coming in first semester we're just finishing up uh, and they're thinking about what they're going to do in the next semester you know what would you advise them if you're t if you're planning on taking over 16 credit hours you should really consider whether or not being involved in an extracurricular activity full-time like a production or a sport rather than a club or something like that that only meets like semi-frequently you know is really going to be worth it because I, I found myself you know practicing for the production that I was in two three hours a night on top of two three hours of homework getting about six hours of sleep rinse repeat mm -hmm. And that was not a great plan. It was it was fun, sure, but not not the best realistically, pragmatically. Like it it, it didn't. I think if that was me, I I would probably go for a few, well maybe a few, maybe less than a few weeks, a, a few days at least at six hours of sleep, and function fine. And then I would probably get crankier, and crankier, and my fuse would get shorter and shorter. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Yep. It, was, it wasn't pleasant. And now things are a lot better and I've got a lot more leisure time, mm -hmm. you know. But during that time, it was really rough. Mm -hmm. So if you're planning on being super involved your second semester, you need to make sure that your coursework is balanced so you don't overwhelm yourself. Okay. What am I, what am I forgetting, Drew? Um, I don't know. So t tell us about uh, course selection. Have you already selected for next year or tell, and then tell us about this semester then if not. And I don't know what considerations we talked about there. Like in my university it was um, I, certain groups got to pick first. I think it was seniors. I don't know. Yeah, almost uh, always. And and those kind of things like so what should a, a first-year person coming in know about course selection I think it's important within your first year because you've got two vacant semesters that you can chock full of whatever you want um, I found that a lot of my friends who are struggling meeting requirements for their degrees decided to take a bunch of interesting fun courses aside from what's required for their degree to start out with to sort of ease themselves into it and while I agree that that's that's a fine plan I think it's best to try to fill out as many core requirements as possible maybe taking one course that you're super interested in at a time because if you can knock out most of your core requirements within your first year that leaves, if, you, if it's a two-year degree, that leaves the whole other year to take what you want. Mm -hmm. And if it's a four-year degree, it leaves you a lot of time. Yeah, for, first for two years, knockout cores. Yeah. yeah, you can take all the electives you want to. But also, don't overwhelm yourself with core classes because they're a lot of work. <laughs> they're a lot of work, and it's not necessarily something you would have chosen. So a lot of work that you're not interested in is, is rough all the way around. Mm. It's not fun. So, um, so, go ahead, Drew. No, I was just saying definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and we and we thought we all got you know done with high school we thought we were all done with this courses I didn't I don't care about or courses that I'm not interested in that are required for my diploma and now it's like hey my major is you know XYZ now I'm I'm gonna this is gonna be great and we're stuck back here first year taking gen eds yeah (laughs) so one of the things that I usually advise or think about is that to spread the type of classes out so that a, a student, if they, if they need to be taking two science courses, especially in the first year, those first two semesters, that there should be no other science courses. Or they're going to be taking like a pretty writing heavy course, a course that, like a writing intensive course, or a couple of those, then you should have a different mix for the other courses so that uh, that will lead toward towards filling the core because if you're you know your social sciences your humanities your fine arts and your science courses those are the four divisions we have here uh, and other places divide them slightly differently but that's a pretty standard mm-hmm. way of doing it it means that you know you're taking an art class you're taking a writing class you're taking a social science which is sort of more of the stats level of things and maybe a science class with sort of the more hardcore math mathy stuff in there and that's four courses you know, one of those is in for your major, you put another one in there for your major, and now you have two classes that are in the field that you're interested in that are going to maybe a little heavier lift in their type of work, and then you have three others that are different. Does that seem, I mean, from your experience, does, is that reasonable, doable, a thing Perfectly to consider? Perfectly reasonable. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's essentially what I, what I did. I yeah. took... I took a few core classes, few required classes, and then I took dramatic literature and philosophy because I was interested in both. Mm. And then that's kind of what lightened up the weekdays. Right. Yeah, you surely do want as one of those classes in there that is just looks fun. Yeah, absolutely. You should always have an elective in whatever schedule that you set up for yourself. An elective too, but don't it it wouldn't be wise to make your entire schedule electives. It's it yeah. like most things that we've talked about today. It's all about balance. Mm. So I, I think you're right, uh, um, or, or I'm I'm enjoying your perspective. It's all about balance. What, what kind of advice can we give to a first year person coming in about how to recognize or how to arrange the balance that's needed for this? So for my my analogy back starting college was like, man, I wish I could downshift and just get up this hill, you know, but what, um, uh, what advice can we give a first year on balance? Take a look at the courses that you took your senior year. First and foremost, your most recent school experience. Did you take a lot of AP courses? Did you take dual credit? Did you take this and that? Did you take a load off your senior year? You know, did you set it up so you'd have an easier senior year? And that's, that's going to be the basis on which you want to ease yourself back into schooling, even more so with a little bit more levity, because it's completely foreign. And being a high school student is completely different academically than being a college student. They're completely different beasts. Can I... Let me come back to that. Finish what you're saying. Let me come back to that. Okay. Um, so advice absolutely um, so personally I took a very heavy senior year 
I took a lot of um, heavier courses so I could, I did a lot of dual credit and AP so I could knock out some hours and make college cheaper in the long run. But a lot of people opt for a lighter senior year because you've just done 13 years of school, might as well make the last one decent before you jump into something else. And while that's fine, it's not, it's not the best for setting you up for college because you, the, your last experience of school was relaxed and slow-paced and fun. Mm. So, and that's, that's all well and good, but you're paying to be at this school. College, um, I know that Missouri offers an A-plus program where you can go to a two-year college for free if you maintain a C average and attendance and all that. Um, nice. Yeah, I opted not to do that because <laughs> I wanted to go here. But um, anyway, and that, that's a little bit lower stakes because you're not paying to get your education. But this is a fairly expensive school, all financial aid aside. Um, mm. So the stakes are a lot higher. Um, because I had a pretty heavily loaded senior year, I felt more comfortable taking heavier classes my first semester. Should I have gone a little bit lighter? Yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been a lot more wise, but I thought I could handle it. Funny enough, I was really upset about the 18 credit hour limit because I wanted to take more. That would have been a disaster. I think it's one of the reasons that the administration put that in there. I think it's wise. <laughs> Peter, next time we need to get a slacker on here. Come here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can do to find one. Yeah. Wow. So I want to I want to uh, circle back to taking a class at college is a different beast than taking a class in high school. How, from your perspective of having taken, you you did some dual enrollment, you did some AP. Mm -hmm. uh, how is here at a four year institution different? than dual enrollment usually in a local community college or an AP class or general like a regular high school course I'm going to lean more toward general high school course for this one because I know That's that not everyone right. took the same route that I did sure um, I'm a planner and I panic a lot so I always want to do the most and that's not everybody, thank goodness. <laughs> but um, more toward high school courses, the expectations are lower. And maybe, Drew, you can speak to this and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of high school education is curriculum-based, whereas, and you can correct me if I'm wrong as well, um, but, sorry, not good audio. Uh, anyway, um, college courses are more based around of course, fulfilling, like, what you generally expect to learn from a course, like astronomy course, we went through the astronomy textbook and, you know, went over, we hit pretty much every note that you'd expect to hit. But it's, it's really up to you, the emphasis that you want to put on it. Yeah, I have a lot of leeway. Yeah, in high school you don't get that so much. Yeah, I think we, we, we might have touched on it in one of our episodes about the, the curriculum in high school is, is or in K-12 public school anyway, is mm -hmm. a lot of times dictated by the state and by the school board of, the, of your district and, and, you know, what's adopted. Because, because it's all being funded by public money, then the public, you know, gets to say what we're doing. Reasonably. Yeah. 
and dipping into that some more, you know, the college men, or not the college, the state mandated, you know, curriculum in high school, you know, a lot of the times there are always teachers that are very dedicated to what they teach, but a lot of the time, as far as high school goes, it's what was available to teach. Hmm. So I've well, had a I've had a lot of teachers who were just as thrilled about what they were teaching as I was. And in a bad way. Yeah, in a bad way. Whereas when you go to college, these professors, most of them, at least here having doctorates, you know, put passion and money and time into teaching what they want to teach. And they take their subject seriously and expect you to also. Side question, how many uh, doctorates, how many PhDs at your high school? None. The contest, but just for... Zero? Zero, I believe, is the answer. Big fat zilch. Oh, okay. How, how about you, Drew? What, the high school where I went as a student or where I worked? Uh, let's say where you work. I, you know, a lot of, I've worked at four different high schools, and each of them has had at least one Ph.D. on, on faculty, and they, they were not shy about telling us who they were. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, a lot of them were Ph.D.s in, or like not Ph.D.s, but EDDs. Uh, uh, EDDs, uh, yeah. Doctorate. Yeah or some variation of that. A lot of master's degrees where I'm working. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody on campus. And one lady had a PhD in some type of hard science. I can't, um, oh man, biology, I think. Anyway, uh, and always, there's always somebody from Berkeley. I don't know how we get away with that, but. Well, Berkeley graduates a lot of people. Anyway, not to brag, but. <laughs> Got a flex on them. It's, it's interesting to me that, that you know, the K-12 or the high school teachers, it's not that I don't have a Ph.D. I, I don't want to go get one um, for different reasons. But Yeah, don't worry about it. You know, but the perception is, is that, oh, well, the high school teachers, you know, um, there's a, yeah, that's a different topic about this Ph.D. and, and, the, and the college professors, <laughs> which I would love to add to another time. <laughs> Put that on the list for future, future podcasts. Yeah. So, so just, I mean, so just being much more, much more, I guess, more engaged yeah. with the subject and also kind of expecting the students in the class to be more engaged as well, mm-hmm. just because of the way it's selected is that so many of your courses that you get to pick, the majority, are courses that are part of your major. So the mm-hmm. assumption is you should be engaged with this topic or side topic or whatever it is that the faculty for that major has decided is required mm-hmm. for to do it. Absolutely. And you can also expect as engagement increases, so does workload. Yeah. Oftentimes. That's true. Not necessarily causation more than it is correlation. Because, you know, as someone becomes more, if someone is more passionate about their subject, there's going to be a lot more bases that they're going to want to hit. And with that become or with that comes different exercises to promote learning in those. Yeah, absolutely. Subjects. I would also in thinking about you know when I've been a part of a department that has a major, as as you go higher up, you know, progress from the hundred to two hundred, three hundred, four hundred. You are the the expectation is that these students are passionate about physics and. We have given them tools and perspective in the 100-level courses that we want them to bring to bear 
in the 200 level courses. So mm -hmm. we're going to ask more of them because they have more than they can give. And same with 300 and same with, you know, your 400 level courses are like uh, culminations. Like you've done three years pr prior to this, you've done six semesters of gaining knowledge and perspective and tools. Now show us what you got. You know, let's mm -hmm. take this to the next level. It's not the last level because you can take graduate level courses even while you're an undergrad in the same way that some people are dual enrolled or do AP and thereby get credit. Like you can, you know, but, you know, basically, certainly as you go deeper in a subject, it is absolutely true that you are asked more and you're expected to be more engaged. Absolutely expected. You've, you've come to this school, you've chosen this class. Yeah, and yeah. you've chosen this major, uh -huh. you know, and you can get up in some majors like it's a five-person seminar course. And yeah, you could choose on some of those not to show up, but you're sending a really strong signal to what's going to end up being the entire department mm -hmm. because everyone's going to know in the faculty in that department that you're like, couldn't be bothered. Absolutely. It's not a good message to send. Sure. All right. All right. I, have to, I have to take off pretty quick, but wrap us up, Pete. All right. Well, Michaela, thank you for coming to chat with us. Sounds like, um, I don't know if I can summarize all of that. Basically, <laughs> things get more intense because people are more passionate. Yeah. Time management in terms of calendaring is good, but may require some other uh, strategies in terms of when and how and where. Mm -hmm. You know, you implement your hour of planned studying, you know, or, or staying on task. Um, yeah, it's basically high school, but on beast mode. Yeah, basically. This, <laughs> yeah. This, you know, if we they do, uh, yeah, if we're going to go, for me, like video game, uh, college is high school on hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So expect a different level of intensity is my main advice that I would give. Okay. E expect to have to do more. Thank you for sharing your, your successes and your, and your struggles. Yeah, this, this no has problem. been really great. Um, well, maybe not the struggles, but talking with you. So listeners, if you have a question for us, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D, or send me an email, peter.o.hyland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.